Hello and welcome to episode 154 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We are now next month. Next month, the football starts, Paul. Next month. My name's Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. Hard knocks. Well, that's what the Dallas Cowboys have got with their starting quarterback. He's got a shoulder problem and can't throw. The season started well already. Welcome along to the NFL Scotland podcast. He's clearly had that shoulder injury for a while because he's not been able to throw for ages. Right, okay. Um, straight into it tonight. Listen, that's already that's already lost a couple of listeners. Sorry, Lauren. Uh, no digs at you. <laughs> anyway, straight into it tonight. Uh, we are joined this evening uh, back again, once again, to chat about his Ravens and some other talking points. First of all, welcome back to Gordon McGuinness. How are you doing, Gordon? Doing well, thanks. How's it going? Yeah, good, good, good. Always a pleasure to have you. Uh, and joining us, because we had Martin Harrison from the Wolves last week to preview the game, and I guess he won it, so he gets bragging rights. So please welcome the East Kilbride Pirates head coach, Jamie McLaughlin. Hey guys, how are we all doing? And Jamie, let's start off with that firstly. So we spoke to Martin, obviously he's very excited to see the return of football. We'll get to the game in a minute, and I'm sure you'd be delighted to talk about it. But for you... <laughs> The return of BAFA football, the return of the East Kilbride Pirates, Scottish conferences, all that jazz. How important is it to you? Yeah, very. Um, I think when we, um, so when I became involved with the senior team uh, and, and took over there, we were on the, the opposite trajectory, um, to put it lightly, um, kind of tumbling out the, the Premier um, at the time and Nothing looked particularly good, but I think we always knew we had the talent in the team. Uh, we just needed to coach it up and and make sure that um, everybody was sort of pulling in the same direction, which I think was was part of the challenge. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been a really enjoyable. That's the, the the thing that I'd say is like it's always um, it's always much nicer when you you sort of feel that like you were coming in with a little bit of potential to work with, and that was definitely the case. Um, and then in twenty nineteen, the following year after the awful twenty eighteen season. And we had a really good year. And that was really our last full year at football. So um, I think probably the only thing that's um, the thing that stands out is that it's really nice to continue the upwards momentum despite an 18-month layoff, which I don't think any of us have really enjoyed particularly. So, uh, yeah, it's positive. Good. And what about the game? Did it take a while to blow the cobwebs out? Uh, there wasn't a lot of scoring in that first half. No, no. I mean, I would love to uh, sit here and make the excuse of the driving monsoon weather, um, <laughs> but I'll be totally honest with you. It was. It was. There was large stretches of the game where the weather really had no bearing on it. Um, we were just very, very, I think, tense as much as rusty, uh, rusty. But um, yeah, we kind of towards the end of it, I think we started to uh, feel ourselves a little bit, and that made a lot easier. And then, obviously, a 14-0 victory over the Wolves. Uh, obviously, the Wolves coming to East Kilbride first. Um, a, yeah. a good, important win, though, especially given that story that like you talked about, you know, the Wolves kind of taking over the mantle as Scotland's top team. Uh, a bit of an opportunity yeah. for the Pirates to kind of try and balance that out again. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think like that was always the, the challenge. The Wolves, um, I know they had, uh, for years and years, had a, a fairly strong youth set up and, we're bringing players through, and I think that's been one thing that we've really tried to focus. Um, <clears throat> it was it was put out there a few weeks before the game that our average roster, I think, is 22 years old now, um, compared to, uh, I promise it was a lot older than that, um, towards the end of 2017, 2018. Um, and I think about two-thirds of our players have come from 
sort of uh, our own youth system or um, nearby sort of university system. So I think we're in a position now where we've, we've sort of brought through a lot of talent and what I think we're seeing the same things as like we're driving upwards, which should put us in a position to um, hopefully hold on to the, the mantle in Scotland a little bit for, for a while, because that was, that was part of their original success. Martin talked a little bit about how he thought it might be easier for the defences to get going than the offence because obviously he has that <laughs> hunger edge. Was that the yeah. case for you guys as well, do you think? Did that ring true? Uh, yeah, well, I think um, I think at the start, particularly in weather like that and particularly um, in most football, offence, if there's something goes wrong, doesn't work. Um Whereas defense, if something goes wrong, you still need the offense to work for for points to be scored. So, um, I think it's always the default that if if something's going to be a little bit off, um, it's going to completely collapse any chance of scoring before it, it causes a, a shootout. So, uh, yeah, it definitely defensively, it definitely was uh, was easier to get going. But I think we sort of knew early doors. I think with a, a few sort of penalties that brought back potentially fairly sizable plays. Um, I think we knew early doors that we had opportunities to, to move the ball. Um, I think it was, as I say, a combination of rust and, and tension that sort of held us up a little bit um, as much as anything else. And what's your hopes for the season ahead? When? Um, I mean, so that's that's the easy answer. And to be honest, it would really have been the only answer every other year. One thing that we really tried to focus on this year is, is bringing guys back in and, and becoming a team again. Um, because I think in 2019 and then at the start of 2020, we had a really, really good culture with a good atmosphere. Um, practices were super competitive, but not um, overboard. And so we had guys like really, you know, competing at a very high level. Um and that's that's what we want. That's the standard. If you make practice really, really hard and you make it um, as difficult as possible, then games in theory should be an awful lot easier. So I suppose one of the challenges coming back was that we had had all that in the past, but now we had guys who may be a little bit less confident. You know, they've had 18 months out. They've, there's all sorts of mental health issues that, that tie in with things like that. There's lots of issues of people's weight and they've not been able to go to gyms, which were famously closed. Um, so guys, some guys out of shape, some guys in great shape. Um, and it's just really, really hard, I think, for people to be able to maintain that that line of training like a professional um, throughout. So I think the, the priority for us was to get guys back in and make it enjoyable. It's got to be fun. Um, you know, Unfortunately, none of us are on even practice squad salary like the NFL are. So... Um, we just have to make sure that guys want to be here and want to play. Um, and if they do, then we can try and win. Um, but I think for this year, it was very much getting back to football and getting back to enjoying me part of a team again, which is something we've all sorely missed. Absolutely. Uh, and it was um, a sellout as well, which I think is obviously reduced crowds, but great to get a sellout. Was it great to have people there watching as well? It was. It was. It was really nice. Um, do you know what was interesting is I... Uh, Obviously, in the UK, American football, a bit of a, uh, well, it's, it's grown fast, but um, certainly a bit of a minority sport in terms of Britball um, and in terms of what we see. But that actually, it was the most noise that I can remember in quite some time, even including 2019 and, and the years before. Um, I felt like there was a lot of atmosphere um, and there was a lot of people sort of quite close to the pitch, which was quite nice. Um, that was by design because uh, the stand... Um, obviously, we don't want to enclose people and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it was it was nice. It was um, it was good to see a lot of guys 
you know, from years past to come along to pick up the game. And yeah, it was a, it was almost like a bit of a who's who of people that I know. It was, uh, it was really nice. I've not, we've not had that many people in one place in, in a long time. So I really appreciated that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so anyone listening to this, make sure that you follow your local team. There's a bunch of teams out there at great Scottish conferences this year as well. Not a lot of traveling, lots of sort of semi-local derbies. Um, yeah. And we know that the Pirates are coming through to Edinburgh to face the Wolves in early October. So uh, hopefully we can get a decent crowd along to that one, uh, where I think we're going to try and get a few of the podcast folks along to that and uh, try and make an afternoon of it. So why the hell not, eh? Why the hell not? Yeah, we'll see, we'll see if I'm keen for the uh, the post game on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyone got any more ja- uh, Jamie questions before we move on? Paul, you yeah, I mean, uh, Jamie, did you find that trying to keep your players chilled or calm at the start of the game was difficult? I spoke to a couple of rugby coaches, you know, when guys haven't played for so long, I think the fear as a coach is that the players try too hard at the start. Try too hard, I definitely think um, we had a lot of... I think that... So the, the challenge was that that game, um, we always knew that there would be a point where we're going to you know, come back up and have to face those sorts of rivals. And, and um, I think one of the things that it felt like was that that game was brought to us rather than we got to it. So it was sort of like COVID's happened. We're compressing the divisions into regional divisions. Suddenly we had Edinburgh... Um, and that was sort of out of nowhere. Um, I do think what you sort of mentioned there, though, about um, getting guys back into the frame of, of almost being relaxed and being ready to play, that was really hard. Um, and I think a lot of people, I'm not sure there would have been a single player on our team would have said that they're not ready for it. Um, but what I think happened was when we got into the game, there was a lot of guys like, there's a lot of riding on this. So I've come straight out of COVID and straight into a, a really kind of high-profile game. Um, so I think that probably played into uh, the start a little bit. I mean, our defence was amazing all day and, and Andrew McGowan, who's our, our defensive coordinator, he does an absolutely amazing job. Um, but uh, offensively, I definitely think we had like a, a little bit of the jitters and we could see things happening, but we just couldn't quite. Um, and so I think that was that showed it. Um, if we were being very honest. But as long as you can sort of settle that and put it to bed and move forward, then that's fine. And I think that's what we did. Um, I think we felt really good at the end, actually. Well, congratulations on the first win. Uh, and here's to a successful season for all the teams. We want everyone to win. Of course, that can't happen. So when no one, uh, when everyone can't win, may the best team win. And that's all we can say. I think that's the most diplomatic <laughs> way forward here, Paul. Um, we I, just want the best team to win, dip- right? Yeah, the next commissioner of the NFL, you are. That, that's just diplomacy. <laughs> Peyton Manning, no. And Cameron Holmes, definitely. You handled that beautifully. All right. Into the rest of uh, episode 154. And as the season grows ever nearer, we follow up our conversation last week about training camp tropes. We're now going into some of the other talking points ahead of the season where we start to get a little bit excited about what's coming ahead. One of the things that's uh, been coming up a lot as we get through training camp is wide receiving duos. You know, obviously this is the time of year where you start to look at the depth charts. You start to look at all the players at the position. You start to see who might break through. But perhaps one of the most important things from an offensive point of view is how good your wide receivers are. And really, if you've got a strong one too, then you're in a very good position. We saw that last year by some of the teams that made a really good run. We 
We've seen the Chiefs do a great job of that. We saw the Buccaneers do that. Open question, guys, though, is who do you think is the best wide receiver duo in the NFL going into the 2021 season? Gordon, I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to get you to kick this one off. Uh, With the I think wrong there's answer, a couple of good candidates. <laughs> there's a couple of good candidates. Uh, I would say number one is probably Tampa Bay. Um, and it's probably because even if they lose one of their top three, they've still got a really good duo. There's talk that Antonio Brown, Bob Ag winner on this podcast many times as he may be, is uh, apparently played with knee injury all last year and was still pretty effective. Uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin are a really good duo. I think the other ones you could look at, Tennessee now and Julio Jones and um, AJ Brown together. Also, they're they're not going to put up amazing numbers because the quarterback, but Denver having Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, I think, could be like a really underrated duo this year. But I think they might be slightly hamstrung by Drew Locke a little bit this year. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come into this as the Super Bowl champions. A, a, a lot made from the upgrade at quarterback position. Cheap shot at Paul. Um, but <laughs> there's going to be lots of them, Paul. It's fine. There's going to be lots of them. Um, but there's there's a lot to like across the league, Paul. Uh, and there's a number of teams have got depth. And, and, and let's include tight ends in this conversation. Um, and I think that, you know, the Chiefs come into the conversation on the back of that. Let's keep running backs out, even if they're receiving running backs. So Kamara, Barkley and all that. Let's put them to the side because that's a different conversation. But if you start to bring in tight ends and wide receivers, for you, who, who stands out as the, the top two? Anyone that you would add other than what Gordon said? Yeah, I think there's a couple of uh, pairings that I quite like. I like Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. I like uh, Cooper and Lamb at Dallas. I think they could be the sleeper pair. You know, we, they've got a good quarterback, although he can't throw the ball at the moment. We're all taking the mickey out of Dallas. But I should then say that, you know, Dallas are basically saying there's no problem. He's our guy. He's good to go come week one. He might not appear in preseason, but he's good to go. Cooper and Lamb, especially in that division, could cause problems. Um, and I don't think they should be overlooked. I think Gordon's right. I mean, the depth that there is uh, in Tampa, uh, depth in Cleveland as well. Um, but if, if you're looking for, for pairs that, you know, I'd, I'd be looking to put in my fantasy team because I think they'll rack up points that I'm looking at Dallas and I'm looking at Minnesota. Jamie, as a Patriots fan, uh, for a long time, you know, the Patriots have probably never been in that conversation for standout one-two wide receivers, yet always, had great... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always had great output, though. Um, who for you yeah. is the, the teams that you're looking at at the moment and thinking, right, these guys are, are something else? Uh, so, I mean, for me, I, I would definitely agree with Tennessee. I'd even go so far as to say um, AJ Brown and anyone else on the roster it's sort of he's um he's special in in incredible ways um i think the only one that sort of sort of almost surprises me that we've not um not mentioned here uh, uh travis kelsey and tyreek kill like you know absolutely outrageous um level of talent there and and almost in an odd way not a sort of classical one two duo um, don't even really operate like a one-two duo, um, but a shockingly um, talented pair of athletes. So um, we can see where that goes, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I would I would stick with Tennessee if it was to pick. Maybe other one that probably deserves and Cameron, you're not going to enjoy this because you're not as big as fan. But uh, Lockett and Metcalf in Seattle, 
are a, a nice. Don't think they're quite on the level of like an AJ Brown and Julio Jones, but Tyler Lockett I think's been really underrated since he came into the NFL, and DK Metcalf is really fast. So <laughs> yeah, under, underrated, sneaky fast. I think sneaky fast um, is the phrase you're looking for. Bugger off! Right? Uh, no, I can't disagree. Metcalf, his production value in, in a good matchup is tremendous, you know, and I think other than really against the Rams, where Jalen Ramsey really had his number, um, Metcalf was a threat all season long. And I think that it's, it's, yeah, for me, I think that Julio and AJ Brown get the edge just because Julio Jones' production value is unreal, although it will be interesting to see you know, Matt Ryan's a tremendous quarterback. I think Matt Ryan's a much better quarterback than Tannehill is. Uh, and therefore, how will uh, Julio's production be in a system where he's dealing with Tannehill, but also where they've got Derek Henry, where they can just run that ball all afternoon and they don't need to go to Julio Jones. Maybe Julio will thrive more because of it. Who knows? Uh, it would certainly be some adjustment for a player that's been playing in the same place for a very long time under the same system where he has been the number one man all the way through. Now he's actually up against a guy, AJ Brown, you were talking about there. You know, a real up-and-comer is going to be a wide receiver we'll be talking about for years. And like I say, behind Derek Henry. There's a couple of outsiders that, for me as well, that aren't in the conversation right now, but I wonder whether they might be more come the end of the season. Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd at the Bengals, I think, have a lot of makings. Um, Odell Beckham coming back, if he's fit, him and Jarvis Landry could, you know, a lot of that depends on Baker Mayfield. Uh, perhaps a little bit more of a long shot there. Um, but the one that I'm probably most interested in to see how they develop is actually at the Dolphins. Um, and I think a fit Will Fuller and Devontae Parker could actually be a really productive pair of wide receivers. Um, I think it will be fascinating to see how they develop. Obviously, Tua didn't have the best first season. It's his team now, uh, and he's got to take it forward. So there's a lot of question marks there, but I think that that's one that we might be talking about more later in the year. Um, Marquise Brown showed a lot of promise, Gordon. Sammy Watkins... You know, there's a lot of hype about how great he is at the moment, but we hear this about Sammy Watkins all the time, right? Um, I'm not sure how thrilling they are. They're all, they're all hurt as well. That's the problem just now. The Ravens' entire wide receiver group's injured again. A classic <laughs> summer anthem that I haven't heard since July last year. What, both hurt. of them. Yes, all two. There's actually like eight on the roster. They've got a problem now. They're going to have to cut guys they drafted a year ago. Uh, Rashad Bateman, the guy they took in the first round, who looked excellent so far, uh, got hurt and looks now like week one is probably not likely. Um, so that's good. But Sammy Watkins apparently has looked very good as well. So we'll see. Can, can I, I throw in just a, a wonderful, you know, topical type reference? There's a movie coming out called Free Guy. Um, somebody actually, it turns out not to be real. Isn't that what a fit? Uh, Will Fuller is. <laughs> <laughs> on, on the plus side for the Dolphins, though, um, like they've also got Jalen Waddle, who was, oh, of course, ar arguably better than Devonta Smith, who went and won the Heisman um, before he got hurt in in his final season at Alabama. So, like, there's a there's a recent uh, there's a reasonable chance that the Dolphins are going to get some good deep production from Jalen Waddle that can replace, you know, any injuries to Will Fuller because the odds in him playing a full se a full 17 game season, sorry, is it the case now is probably a little bit unlikely. 
and and before we leave the wide receivers, you know, let's look at the elephant in the room or the elephant that's got 10 wide receivers with him in the same room who might become important. And that is Michael Thomas and the problems in your leans. I mean, they have, because I'm looking at their depth chart right at the moment, they've got 11 wide receivers listed. And I'm sorry, you can take the other 10. Uh, the Saints without Michael Thomas um, <laughs> is not the place place you want to be. Yeah, you've got Traquan Smith, Deontay Harris, Marquise Calloway, potentially. And there's one or two names that might break through below that. But, I mean, if the Saints were done without Breeze, if you take Thomas out the mix as well, I mean, they, they are cooking nicely. They'll be done. I see that you've got um, a player as well called Aesop Winston Jr. So, you know, in, in Green Bay, we could get Rodgers to Rodgers. Uh, and in New Orleans, we could get Winston to Winston. It'll never happen. That's just a fable. <laughs> what, which, what, which I love, <laughs> what I love about the, the Michael Thomas thing is it just brings, so that the whole thing, so it wasn't just that he tweeted out something suggesting that there was like problems with the Saints. Um, he then like liked a PFF tweet, which suggested it was something to do with him going and not having surgery so they could try and win the Super Bowl with Breeze. And then needing, you know, then now having to get surgery now. But what it reminded me of is there's a tweet by there's a, a fancy football guy called C D Carter. And he tweeted years ago, typical quarterback tweet is love my teammates, God is good. Typical running back tweet is keep grinding. Typical tight end tweet is derp. And the typical wide receiver tweet is the enemy speaks kindly and holds a knife. <laughs> constantly always so dramatic over the top I think that's brilliant I mean, I mean if we're going to talk about um, you know about turns and all sorts of various things I mean what about what's happening in Seattle with our friend Russell Wilson trying to get his linemen better contracts having spent the off season slamming them for being useless now he's pleading for his left tackle to be signed at a better deal what's going on there it's a sign that Russell's not happy in Seattle, isn't it? And I think that there's that's not news. He There was an acceptance that he wasn't going to be traded. So, you know, fine, I'm not going to be traded. I'm going to stay where I am. And I think that, you know, let's take <clears throat> let's take Russell Wilson and Michael Thomas as two different um two different people and two different character types. Michael Thomas will be told he's not being traded and Michael Thomas will continue to push for a trade. He will clearly throw his toys at the pram. Russell Wilson, to be fair to him, is a, is a professional. Uh, and he's been very successful because he's massively professional. Uh, he's very good at what he does. And he's I, he doesn't strike me as the sort of guy who's ever going to be that... His toys are never going to be that far from the pram. He's not Aaron Rodgers in that sense. He's not Michael Thomas in that sense. Uh, and he's going to accept it, but he's now going to push for the things that he thinks he needs. And let's be fair, a left tackle is definitely one of them. Um, and he's not a terrible left tackle. It's probably one of the better positions in that offensive line. Therefore, you want to secure your best pieces. Else Russell Wilson is going to get smacked an awful lot of times this year, and he doesn't fancy that. You look at the... What? It's also an indication he's realised it's August and he's about to start getting hit, so he has to start wanting his linemen to get paid a little bit, so he winds up with a little bit less pressure. And I mean, but you look at the the defenses he's coming up against. You know, JJ Watt's a lot older, fine, but JJ Watt and uh, Arizona is going to galvanise that defense. Aaron Donald is still there in LA, and the 49ers have about four hundred edge rushers. Um, you know, it's ridiculous. So it's very much geared up for big defense. 
in that uh, NFC West. The Seattle Seahawks are not playing that way. They're they're yeah. they're just going on the quarterback and decent wide receiver approach and hoping for the best. So just to have another movie reference, if you've seen the movie, we'll, we'll switch to baseball for a moment, Bull Durham, where the catcher uh, gets shaken off by the pitcher. So the catcher then decides to tell the batter what's coming, the pitch that's coming, and the, the guy starts getting hit all over the place. Is this going to be the same with Seattle? You know, their tackles will line up and go, I'm going left, help yourself to the inside. The wee boy Wilson's there. You can melt him once, you know. Russell Wilson, I think, is trying to avoid that and get on the good side of his of his people once more. And rightly so, because it's a problem. And actually, it brings us on to the second part of this conversation. We talked about great wide receiver duels, but we need to talk about where we're concerned for teams. Uh, and obviously, the offensive line in Seattle is definitely an area for concern. Um, it's, you know, there's no depth at quarterback. If Russell Wilson gets injured, he's no young man anymore. And, you know, Jamie, from your point of view, if, if your quarterback's getting harassed and getting hit all the time, surely that's number one thing as a coach that you've got to try and fix. Yeah, yeah that's, it's, it's definitely up there as soon as it starts happening. Um, I mean, I don't think, I can't recall any team being particularly successful with O-line woes. I think it's just one of these things that doesn't happen. And in actual fact, that to me is always been one of the, the great um, questions about why Dallas haven't done better considering the phenomenal O-lines they've had over time. Um, when you see some of these teams, even if I were to think back to the uh, the 07 Patriots, their offensive line was absolutely excellent um, and it got beaten down in the Super Bowl and look what happened there. So, yeah, if, you're, if you can't protect, you may also not be able to run. It's a linked issue. Um, and then, yeah, that's you. There's, there's no paddle there. So let, let's focus in on our teams, first of all, and then we'll talk about the wider concerns that are around the league. And Jamie, we'll come back to you. As a, as a Patriots fan, where you're Julian Edelman, uh, jersey behind you for those. Things are so much rosier before. <laughs> yeah, the visual representation what? doesn't work well for a podcast, but, you know... <laughs> Yeah, welcome to the real world where teams actually yeah, wonder yeah. how they're it's, going it's to do that. I've said this for you. I, do you know, I remember saying it in, in like 2008 when Brady tore his ACL. I remember saying, well, you know, we have to live like normal people now and it transpired <laughs> that we 12 further years of joy. Um, so, What's your biggest yeah. concern, though, for the Patriots this year? Where's the where's the biggest area that's an issue? Um, so... The one thing that, that kind of concerns me is the um, Stephon Gilmore situation. I think the way that's going, it's I think he's really been nothing more than a cameo so far in camp. Um, and then we don't really have a, we don't really have the, the certainty I think around him in the defensive secondary that we used to have. Um, I think when Gilmore wasn't on the field. We had various other guys that were able to make plays. JC Jackson's sort of getting there, but JC Jackson, I don't really think is that we're not talking about the same sort of player here. So, um, or certainly not the same caliber of player anyway. So I think that's one thing that scares me because harking back to previous Patriots teams, um, thinking specifically before the sort of Akeem Talib, Darrell Revis um, era, we had an awful lot of problems stopping anybody pass um, and even that pretty much started from about 2008 um, and those teams really struggled to win the only reason they um, they routinely did was because Tom Brady would pick the ball up in his own 10 
drive it to about the 50, we'd punt and we'd put them back and then it would be the exact same thing the opposite way. So it was it was very much constant field battle. Um, and I think that's the one thing that worries me. Um, maybe I'm just a little bit tainted after that, but I fear if we don't have a guy in the secondary, we don't have a, a sort of marquee um, who can take people away because that sort of defence, even with Belichick, never really worked. Um, as soon as you bring in that one guy where they can take away a piece and work with the rest, that's where we, we've seen success. So that's the thing that concerns me a little bit. Paul, we'll move on to you next. The New Orleans Saints, what's the biggest area of concern for you? I mean, the obvious easy answer is quarterback. I mean, there, there's just no doubt about it. And I'm not going to tire of saying we are not going to win a Super Bowl with a cast-off quarterback from another team in our division. It ain't going to happen. Um, I, I mean, I've said before that I've, I've got to trust Sean Payton's judgment on this. I just do not see that. So if we take that out of the equation, because Sean Payton and I disagree, obviously, and for some reason he's the one that gets to make the decisions, uh, I still think our biggest issue is at linebacker, not putting enough pressure on, which exposes our cornerbacks. Um, I, I just think we just do not have what it takes there to get things moving. I'm not convinced they've necessarily done much. I mean, they've got Quan Alexander in, uh, but I think there's certainly problems there. I think this is not only, I mean, it's interesting what Jamie said, you know, when you're used to winning all the time and all of a sudden you've got problems. I mean, the Saints haven't been used to winning all the time. We've got a lot of split seasons along the way as well because, you know, either a terrible defence or our offence wouldn't click. I'm, I'm concerned. I'm, I'm not at the moment convinced the Saints are going to win more than six games this season. Now, that might just be a little bit, you know, slightly morose because of the quarterback situation and what I've outlined there. But I think the Saints could be in real trouble here. I'd, I'd like to think I was wrong. Uh, but at the moment, my, my over-under would start at six wins for the Saints. I, I mean, it definitely rings true that if you can't win a Super Bowl with Drew Brees with that offence, then I don't know how Jameis Winston's going to do it. But, yeah, I understand the concerns. Gordon, for you, Ravens, biggest area of concern? Uh, it's, well, aside from the fact that Lamar Jackson apparently is trying to see how many times he can catch COVID. Um, far from that, if you take, I think the big thing is they need to be able to, in order to win the playoffs, the regular season stuff will work perfectly fine. But on the offensive side of the ball, when they get to the playoffs, they need a wide receiver that will win one-on-one, -on -one, get open, and make the tough catches when it's cold, it's wet, it's windy and miserable. And on defence, they can scheme up pressure all throughout the regular season. There comes a point in the playoffs where guys just have to win one-on-one -on -one at points. And those are the two biggest things that have held them back the last couple of years, is that when push comes to shove and you're against good quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, as cute as you want to get in coverage, someone has to beat their blocker up front. The Ravens have to send seven guys, Mahomes is going to find players. So those are the two biggest things. And like you say, safe hands. Sammy Watkins, the guy to go and get. I don't associate Sammy. Sammy Watkins has got ability. Not necessarily a safe pair of hands, though. No, I mean, they went they went after TikTok's very own Juju Smith-Schuster first, and he turned them down to sign back in Pittsburgh. So um, Bateman, Rashad Bateman, I think, can be very good. He's the guy heading into the draft I really want him to get because I think he, like, elevates and increases the catch point and also has a very safe pair of hands. 
Um, and I think that's exactly the type of receiver that Lamar Jackson needs. He's not he's not putting the ball on a rope every single time. There's times where he's going to put it in the area that if a wide receiver will make a bit of space and Bateman can be that guy. So if he can get healthy early on, um, I do think Marquise Brown probably doesn't get gets underrated a little bit. I just don't think he's like a true number one wide receiver. It's a little bit too small and he's not, you know, doesn't have the skill set of Tyreek Hill. He can get away with that size. But as like a number two guy, I think he can, he can be really effective. So I've probably got the most faith I have in them if they can be healthy at the start of the season that I have in a couple of years. But ultimately, they're just going to have to prove it at some point. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think for me as well to wrap this up with our teams, the 49ers, you know, injuries is obviously a concern. I think I would have been concerned about the offense. There's question marks about the quarterback. But so far, the biggest story to come out of the offense is how much Alex Max sweats, which for me, I think is symptomatic of the fact that if that's the worst we've got to deal with, you know, um, basically, Jimmy's been complaining because he keeps getting handed sweaty balls, right? And nobody wants to get handed sweaty balls off their center. So, you know, he's just going to have to deal with it. Uh, apparently, Alex has got a bigger towel. We're going to deal with this one way or the other. Kyle says this is common for centers. Uh, Jamie, we're going to have to come around to this and ask you how sweaty your center is. Um, you know, you're on mute, sir. So you'll have to unmute. <laughs> That's me committed the uh, the two COVID faux pas. One is having a signal that collapses and the other is being on mute. <laughs> Um, I will tell you for a fact that that is actually something that has come up in Patriots uh, in Patriots lore before. David Andrews is in fact a sweaty centre, um, and that's uh, that was it. Must have been the last year Brady was here, but that was a discussion at camp that he he wears a towel, I believe, most of the time now, and that's for that reason. All right, there you go. Right, you, I'm going to put you. On the spot. I, I found it very strange. That's the only the second time ever that I've heard <laughs> someone mention that particular nuance of American football. But there it is. So I'm going to have to ask you and put you on the spot as well. Who's the sweatiest pirate? Well, probably me. <laughs> <laughs> that's a safe. That's too safe. No, no, no. You're not playing it was anymore. Quite safe. Uh, oh, I'm, I. I don't know. They're all I mean, sweaty. It is a safe answer, but they're, they're all pretty nasty. I'm, 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 I was terrible, really bad. Um, so I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick. It's a bad. Fine. I know it's a bad choice. I know you want me to pin someday, but I, I, it really might be me. That's it. Fine. Twitter folk, give them abuse. Get this answer out of them. Who's the sweatiest pirate? Um, but no, the 49ers, right? The, the actual area of concern has got to be our secondary in defense. It continues to be an area that we have not addressed. Um, you know, you look at some of the players as well, uh, and Tart's on the pop list. He's not going to start. Ferret's obviously a very questionable. We've picked up Haha Clinton Dix now, a player who had a great first season, obviously went first round when he was originally drafted. Uh, but really, I, I don't think he played at all last season. Um, um, you know, there, there's a number of questions there. Even Tavarius Moore's on the uh, pop list as well. So there's there's problems in that secondary. And I think that any quarterback in the league can find a way over the top of us. And the problem that we've got is in the league, there are quarterbacks who are very capable of that and wide receiver cores that are very capable of doing us damage. You know, we didn't even talk about Cooper Cup and uh, Robert Woods. We didn't talk about uh, DeAndre Hopkins in a fit AJ Green if he is. Christian Kirk's pace. You know, there's definitely uh, the potential to lose a lot of points in that division. We really need to rely on that front seven. Um, we need the 2019 front seven, not 2020 front seven, where it was all banged up. So definitely an area for concern with me. I think the other the other big concern is that Shanahan appears 
absolutely dead set on starting Jimmy G. Which everything. Well, let, let, let me jump in there because I mean I'm I'm looking at the power rankings on NFL.com and basically they're saying that Trey Lance is easily outplayed Jimmy Garoppolo. Now I want to talk about tropes. We often hear this, but you're right. I mean Shanahan does seem to be hell bent on starting Garoppolo no matter what. So it's not a proper competition. It it uh, reminds me it reminds me a lot of thinking back to when Russell Wilson came into the NFL. He wasn't a first-round pick. He was a third-round pick. But the Seahawks had just signed Matt Flynn, who'd had like four good games for the Packers, handed him a decent chunk of money. He was going to be the starter, and then maybe Russell Wilson be the guy next year, year after. And as soon as they got into training camp, there was just things that Russell Wilson could do physically that Matt Flynn couldn't. And Russell Wilson by kind of the third preseason game and kind of taken over that. And I think Chicago's probably the same. I think Chicago and San Francisco are very much making the noises right now of the veterans are starting for us. Um, if the noise coming out of training camp shows up in preseason games, I think we're going to see Justin Fields and Trey Lance starting very, very soon. Yeah, I think that's the dance that you dance, right? That's taking the pressure off the rookie. That's saying, don't worry about it. You're not getting chucked in at the deep end here. We're going to we're gonna see what you've got. You've got time to bed yourself in. You know, don't be panicking about week one. Go out into the preseason games. Do what you can do. Turn up to training camp. And to be honest, I, I, I'm of the opinion it's good management um, because it takes the immediate pressure off guys who, and certainly in the case of Trey Lance, isn't vastly experienced and didn't play last season other than one game. I, for me, I think it would be nuts to chuck him in. I think maybe by the end, you know, with the noises coming out, there's a good chance by the end of the season he's the starting quarterback, quite possibly. It's his to go win. But let's not chuck him in at the deep end and, and have him shrink. And actually, I think the Bears are kind of doing this, the right thing as well with Andy Dalton. We know that Justin Fields' upside is way higher than Dalton's, but we know a a decent Andy Dalton is capable of getting wins in Chicago. So, you know, let's roll with Dalton. Let's get Fields in there. Let's make Fields hungry and let's see how much character he's got. How much does he want to be the starting quarterback? Go show us, pal, because actually it's your job to win, not your job to lose. Because I think it's a bad move as well to start your rookie and have an experienced guy come in and have to replace him week two, week three, because that rookie's just in at the deep end and getting absolutely battered. So, you know, I, it's it's a question that will be answered, but I don't think it will be answered in the first couple of weeks. I think, you know, with the, the Niners, they can probably go to Detroit and, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo can hand the ball off a bunch of times. I would imagine that will be the way that we play. Um, our kneecaps will probably be bitten, um, as has been the words from the Lions head coach throughout. Um, so I hope we are, we're wearing kneecaps, if nothing else. But, um, yeah, it, 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 it's a developing story that will be fascinating to watch through the year. I think the Jimmy Garoppolo thing as well, he obviously when he you know signed that contract, it was largely off the back of one absolutely spectacular half in Miami. Um, and I, I think that's one thing that's regularly overlooked um, is that with Josh McDaniels, who has had, even when he was poor as a head coach, had relative success with Kyle, with Kyle Lawton, I think, in uh, Denver. And then um, it, that all, always has been something that he's been capable of doing. And I think when you actually pair back what Jimmy Garoppolo is with a massive contract that you signed and all those sorts of things and say, well, what have you gotten? You've essentially gotten, dare I say, a game manager season that took you to the Super Bowl. Um, 
I'm not really sure there's much more there. So I think the exploration, at least of someone new, because <clears throat> I don't think um, I don't think Jimmy G is going to carry to the promised land every year. That's for sure. No, and I, and I think he's he's capable of getting us so far, but I'm not sure he's capable of getting us that yeah. final bit. And but at least for six games, he'll take you somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> and then he'll get injured. Um, yeah. Grant, okay, um, any other teams that we've got any major concerns for? Obviously, there's some easy ones here. There's the Colts and the quarterback situation. Um, any other teams that maybe haven't been talked about that we're worried about, guys? I think you've got to be worried about Houston, which we've covered. Uh, because of all the problems they've got. I think you've got to be concerned a little bit about uh, Jacksonville. Um, we talked about tropes last week. Let, let me give you one of the tropes that's coming up. You know, Jets rookie quarterback Zach Wilson on practice says, I can't be afraid to make mistakes, which kind of suggests he is making mistakes um, and almost setting people up for disappointment. I mean, again, it's just one of these tropes. The other trope that, that, that caught my eye, and I actually think they'll be a good team, is Cleveland Browns' updated defence is hounding the hyped offensive side of the ball, you know, apparently destroying the confidence of the, the offence there. I mean, yeah, th these are the tropes that you get. And I've, I've pulled these out to show in Cleveland it doesn't matter in the Jets, I've got slightly more concerned about because when you start talking about rookie quarterbacks making mistakes, it tends to be because they are. The interesting one for me is, and again, not a team that I'm necessarily expecting to be a playoff team, but the Bengals win a second year with Joe Burrow. The rumours coming out, or the stories coming out of training camp are that the offensive line still doesn't look particularly good. And he looks very nervous and skittish behind said offensive line. And you don't want to be in a situation where you ruin Joe Burrow two seasons in his career because you've mm -hmm. just killed his confidence behind a terrible offensive line. Um, and it, it obviously gets everyone looking back to the decision they made in the draft to go after Jamar Chase instead of Panay Sewell. Although with the way, what they've done in free agency it was always like interior offensive linemen they were looking for. So they did address that in the second round. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can, if that offensive line prevents him from taking a step forward this year. I think for me, the there's a few. I'm worried that Joe Flacco is going to be the starting quarterback for the Eagles. So I worry about the Eagles. Um, this 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 is this is the Jalen Hurts that you were all mortally offended that he was pulled for Nate Sudfeld, and now all of a sudden Joe Flacco is going to replace him. Jalen Hurts wasn't really as good as everyone says last year, was he? Let's, no, he let's be honest. He wasn't very he, good. And he, I, I like love Jalen Hurts in college. I think he's a great guy. Really hope he does develop in the NFL. Don't know that he is as far along as people thought. I do have a hot take though, uh, and that is that Joe Flacco is better than Nate Sudfeld. Um, it, it, it's it's you know I'm out there no, with this. I'm not, but... not going to disagree with that. I'm not going to disagree. <laughs> um, the one other one that worries me a little bit is the situation for Drew Locke in Denver, because it feels like we have spent the last six months talking about which other quarterback is going to be starting in Denver, and Drew Locke's going to be the guy that runs out week one. Um, you know, I know the Bridgewater. Do you think it'll be Bridgewater? Uh, like, <laughs> Is it not even Drew Locke? <laughs> Drew Locke's just he's just not good. Like, I know. So the thing for Denver, I'm not I'm not gonna say there's no hope for him to be good because we've seen these kind of toolsy quarterbacks like Josh Allen struggle those first couple of years, but have a big arm and they kind of all put it together. 
And Drew Locke had some really nice moments at Missouri in college, but he was really inconsistent in college. He's been really inconsistent in the NFL. Like the balance of probability of him taking that same leap as Josh Allen did is probably pretty slim. Um, and with the talent they have at receiver, they they probably think that Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback will be able to have them floating around that final wild card place. I think Miami is one that um, people, because it's almost like we're not willing to execute tour quite yet. Um, <laughs> and I'll be totally honest with you, I, I, I'm going to stop short of saying that he sucks, but I, I definitely did not see anything that made me think that Tua was going to light the world up. Um, the numbers were fairly pedestrian. It didn't look like the eyeball test, I don't think, gave him... Um, like Sam Darnold, for example, is someone where I think the eyeball test helps when you look at the numbers. You, you see him playing, you think, you actually look not too bad. It's just you, your team was terrible. You played but for I the Jets, Tua yeah, could, basically. <laughs> yeah, I think Tua, Tua could be one of these guys where six, maybe even less games in, we're looking at it and saying, yeah, he's not what we hoped he might be. I've always wondered with the Tua thing, and maybe, maybe this is the Jalen Hurts thing as well, like they they didn't get an accurate representation of what it's like to throw to wide receivers in college because they had like all world wide receivers, like first round guys, top of the first round guys, and also going up against college defensive backs. So anytime they drop back to that, there was probably at least two guys open. In the NFL, your best wide receiver isn't going to be open every single play. And that must be an incredibly tough adjustment coming from that in college to the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. The one other worry that I've got, and this is purely as a fan and purely as someone that likes to watch the game sometimes as a neutral and enjoy the spectacle for for what it is, I'm a little bit worried that Justin Herbert was a flash in the pan season one uh, and whether he can continue to be the great unexpected player that he has been. Uh, I genuinely, I mean, I'm not really that invested necessarily in the AFC West, but I loved watching Herbert last year. I want to be able to enjoy watching him again this year. I don't know. I, I worry that he might not be as good as he was year one. I, I don't believe in the LA Chargers until they prove they're real. I, I refuse to. I mean, they, I know they moved to LA. They are still the San Diego Chargers. Same team. Like, let's not. We can't uh, We can't brush over the fact that until they actually do something, we just have to assume that they're going to fall somewhere along the way. Yeah. Somewhere someone's going to go wrong. The thing that worries me about Herbert, I think it's a fair worry. Um, if you look at it from like a metric standpoint, all the things he was really good at last year are the things that, generally speaking, aren't that sticky from year to year. So, like, he was really good under pressure. Um, that's not something that is overly consistent year to year. So, if that changes and you and he reverts back to where he wasn't, you know as like a pocket passer, not under pressure, there is a sizable drop there to like just an average quarterback who, and he, and he still made mistakes last year. Like there was loads of nice big plays. If those big plays drop away because a lot of that stuff was just kind of on the right side of variance, those numbers could look very different this year. And all of a sudden he doesn't get away with some of the big throws that just got away from defenders and doesn't get the, the big passes on, on pressure and stuff. Yes, and call me a little bit nervy, but Keenan Allen 
not a guy who was known for being particularly healthy in the early stages of his career, strung together a bunch of seasons now where he seems to have managed to keep on the field. If Keenan Allen disappears, that's yet another thing that directly impacts Justin. Yeah, they're they're going to need to prove they're real to me before I... I mean, not even just normal prove it. I don't care if they're 14-2. and Once in the playoffs <laughs> and the season win, then I'll, I'll maybe accept it. Even on def- even on defense, like Derwin James might be the best, the most talented defensive player in the NFL. It just needs to be on the field for more than six, seven games at a time. Like it's Joey Bosa. Great. Like Joey yeah. Bosa is the same. Yeah. Lots and lots of questions for the Chargers. Right, we'll move on. Uh, lots to talk about there. We'll cover more. Next question, and we talked about this. This week sees the return of Hard Knocks. Um, if you're listening to this podcast when it first comes out, then it's on tonight. But if you listen to it a little bit later, then you've probably missed it. We're already two days behind the States. No idea why. It means that you have to pretty much bloody avoid Twitter and all the spoilers so that you don't know what's coming before it comes on. No idea what the delay is. You can't watch it on Game Pass either until it's been shown on Sky. If you're listening, Sky, we know you're not. But if you are, get it sorted. Come on. Um, but we asked the question twofold to on Twitter. One, will you be watching Hard Knocks and what are you hoping to see? And two... If the SPFL did hard knocks, which Scottish team's first four weeks would have been the most entertaining? So I'll run through some answers first of all, and then I'll come to you guys. So Jim Douglas, first of all, said, I think I might watch it, possibly to see any sides of Dallas imploding. And we're almost certainly going to see some of that. For him, though, uh, SPFL side, he just says that Dick Campbell would get any TV channel closed down, um, which I think is a fair <laughs> fair reflection. Um Graham Muncy, uh, he says, yep, he's looking forward to Hard Knocks. Uh, feels like the NFL season is getting close when you hear that music. And then he talks about the BBC having the documentary with hearts, but feels like they missed a trick because it was all groundskeepers and tea ladies when it could have been something really interesting. Um, yeah, my- they also missed a trick on getting somebody to voice it over that actually liked football. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Mikey Branch, he doesn't answer the first part, he just answers the second part, and he says the SPFL team that would uh, be most interesting is Rangers, because he would like to see behind the scenes at Tanadice. I think that he might be an Arab. Uh, Donald McLeod, he says that he would love to have seen the hard knocks from the Raiders camp in the 1970s. I'm not sure that would be allowed to be shown on television, let's be honest. There would have been criminal charges brought for, against somebody. Uh, and for him, St. Johnston last year is what he would like to have seen from an SPFL one. Uh, really tough first couple of months from Callum Davidson to him sliding along the dressing room floor with his shirt off. Quite the story. A uh, couple more. Phil Spear says, yep, yeah, probably be watching it at some point. It is football after all. Uh, and he would have liked to have seen the Aberdeen um, hard knocks. Such a dramatic turnaround from the miserable stuff from last season uh, to the stuff that's been done over the summer. Mind you, it is early days. And then finally, Lorne Callahan, who is our resident Cowboys fan, he says, I have watched every season of Hard Knocks and All or Nothing, dating back to the first series in 2001. Great to see how the NFL team's training camps work and gives you some of the backstory of players, which we've seen in the past is both interesting and sometimes catastrophically embarrassing. Um, And he says he's not a fan of the round ball game, so wouldn't be of interest to him. Um, Guys, first of all, will you be watching Hard Knocks and what you hoping to see probably not um i will watch all the clips that get shared on twitter though and that'll be the best best that's what i did every year i'm like oh this looks like it's gonna be really good i'll make some time i don't have time that's so um, that's some good optimization there like, we, <laughs> we don't have to mess about like watching the same replay of the ball spinning through the air like no it's just just give me all the good clips let, yeah, let me look at 
Bob Wiley saying set hut and his stomach jumping up. Let me look at all those little clips. It's fine. That's all I need. And then for, I'm not going to pick an SPFL team, but would have been great television. Would have been a hard knocks version of the Scotland team of the Euros. All the drama of the Billy Gilmore right. collapse and not collapse, obviously like falling with COVID and all that hype. That would have been great. That would have been great television. I, it's not, I mean, there's not a Scottish team out with the old firm that would draw significant numbers and would massively excite me. I'm very blessed as a Motherwell fan that we insist on sharing 30 seconds at the end of every game to say the same thing about whether or not it was a good three points, a hard-fought point, or a oh, we'll bounce back next week. So I don't really feel like I would benefit from seeing any more there because I get I get enough there. So give me the Scotland one. Well... It's interesting. I mean, our growth, obviously, with Dick Campbell, because you'd watch anything with Dick Campbell. And the other person that falls into that category is Ian McCall at Partick Thistle. And I think if you were if you were looking for genuine drama, you would have done Partick Thistle last year with all the going up emails coming down, you know, and all the court cases. So something like that, something like that would be terrific. Uh, I'll be going long form on hard knocks and watching it all because I actually quite enjoy it. I just, I like the the behind the, the scenes look and I, I think it's very, it's usually very well shot. It's very arty. Uh, the one on the Texans did slightly start to bore me. I didn't think there was a great deal of narrative around it, uh, but some of the ones in the past have been terrific, including the Jets, but no, I'll, I'll watch it partly because I like to see how, the, how they make these things and, you know, great voiceovers and all that kind of thing. Jamie? Uh, yeah, I, do you know, I actually, um, I haven't really watched um, a full season. Of heart. I've watched bits and pieces, um, but I actually think I might wait until it's done and then try and chain it um, and just watch all the hard knocks of one go, uh, since that's what I've been uh, doing lately to watch TV. I have to find a spot where I've, I've got the actual time with a, a young kid and then uh, and then watch it all in one go. Um, but I think I probably will. Um I feel like Dallas is there's something something is just not quite right there. I don't know. I'm not a Dak fan. We seem to really love Dak. I, I kind of want to know why. Um, the O line were incredible for a number of years, um, and I kind of want to watch Zeke and see how happy he is if that starts to deteriorate, um, because he strikes me as a guy who might throw his toys out the pram. So I think that could be good. Um, the Scottish team, so I also, I think it was mentioned earlier, I also am a Motherwell fan. I would really like um, Hamilton Ackies because not only do I get to see the sadness in action, but they also seem they fired Brian Rice today. So, um, yeah, I want to know what's happening <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want to enjoy it. Um, if, if I Honestly, if I could sit on the top of Morrison's right next to New Douglas Park with some popcorn, <laughs> I'd be doing it right now. Um but yeah, that would be that'd be my choice. Well, 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 two things out of that. One, I think Brian Rice resigned rather than was sacked, but he um, has gone. And if you'd seen Hard, if Hard Knocks had featured Hamilton last season, then you would have seen uh, Brian Rice um, having a, a very interesting interview with a member of the BBC uh, that didn't, who obviously didn't see the same game or the, the game in the same way that that Brian did, and it, it led to one of my favourite interviews of of last season. Um, where we just weren't on the same page whatsoever. Um, he's a good guy. I like him very much. But uh, yeah, we didn't quite see eye to eye on a particular game. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's great narratives. I think what people want to see is just that behind-the-scenes look. And I think Dallas will be interesting enough. I mean, if you look at Dallas, yes, they are America's team. Yes, a lot of people hate them. I mean, I've been to the stadium. I mean, the, the whole organisation and setup of their stadium tour, of the welcome, of, you know, the shop, of everything was unbelievably first-class, friendly, wonderful um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of good in the organisation. I think we're all fascinated by the Jones family and the sheer grip that they have. Um, if we're going to get to see, um, you know, Jerry's super yacht again, that would be nice. Um, you know, if, you, if anybody can draft off a super yacht, then probably doesn't care whether people like his team or not. And, and you know, for me, it's, it's really interesting. I will watch it, but I worry now... And actually, this is a little bit tied into one of my SPFL answers, but I'm worried about how contrived it's going to be and how set up it's going to be and how controlled it's going to be because teams are wise to it. And of all the teams to be wise to it and all the teams to want to control it, Jerry Jones is probably, and maybe I'm wrong, but number one in my mind of one of the people who's going to put out the the stories he wants to put out and make sure that the things he wants out are what get there. Um, you know, SPFL, the obvious answer on the the back of what's happened already this week is you would say Rangers and the, and the story that they've gone through. But again, it would be contrived and it wouldn't be the real story because they seem to be very focused on controlling the message that's coming out of there. Um, for me, I think that, you know, I will watch Hard Knocks. It'll be interesting. It'll be taken with a pinch of salt. If I was doing the SPFL, I think it would be... St- Celtic, because uh, I would love to see Ange coming in and doing what he needs to do, all the players that are potentially wanting away, Eddie and all that jazz and all the stuff that's going on. You know, so many new players coming into the mix, a new dynamic. I think it would be a really fascinating story. The other one would be St. Johnston and going to Galatasaray, that whole story. I would love to have been on that for that whole week. That I think that would have been fascinating to follow them through. It would have been absolutely brilliant. Um, so, yes, so that's my answer to that one. Moving on then, and NFL UK tickets have come on sale. Season tickets can be renewed from Thursday the 12th. After that, Wembley season ticket holders will get the first dibs for single game tickets. After that, it will be a general sale. But ahead of all of that, Paul, um, you've snapped up some uh, some super premium ones. Tell us more. Yeah, I've gone for the way overpriced, stupidly priced ticket. Um, because it's a boys' weekend out, and that's what we've always done. We've always gone to hospitality. Uh, the Spurs hospitality, um, compared to the Wembley hospitality, is like comparing Wembley to Hamden. They are both stadiums, but you know which one you'd rather own. It's yeah, it, it's overpriced. It's overhyped. I mean, it's a good day out, obviously. Um, but I, I think what's on offer at Tottenham uh, compared to what's on offer at Club Wembley is pretty poor. And I think the NFL should be having a wee look at this because people want to go. If, if you can get the, the hospitality, it's the first first chance to get a ticket and secure a ticket for an event that's going to sell out. Uh, many people see it as a, as a special weekend away, so they are quite prepared to pay the extra 100, 140 quid or whatever it might cost you over and above what just a, you know attending um, as a normal fan, if you like. But I'm, I'm very happy I'm going. I'm slightly uncomfortable about how much I've paid for what I'm getting. And I think it's interesting because there's been some chat on that. NFL, so Liz uh, Bandari, who NFL Girl UK, uh, put a tweet out about this asking for people's thoughts. And I think that because they've released these premium tickets first, there's almost a, if you really want to go to this game, this is the way to do it. 
is pay the money. And I think that, you know, Paul, you've talked a lot about your experiences at Wembley. Uh, and to be honest, I've always listened with envy. Uh, it's a lot of money, but you got a lot for your money. And actually, there's something quite nice about being able to go to a location, sit there, know that you're paid, and everything else is bought already. And you can just sit back and enjoy it. So, you know, if you compare that buffet, that food that was available all the way through, and all the drink that was available all the way through, you know, you compare that to Wembley, and you get your food before the game. If you want something mm-hmm. at halftime hour afterwards, it's available, but you got to pay for it. And you get one drink rather than as many as you want. Uh, and, and actually, we looked at this and, you know, behind the scenes, we've been uh, we've been jibing uh, Paul all afternoon about how ripped off he's been because we know how much that that settles in his crawl. Lovely. Um, but, you know, I think if I sit and figure it out, I'm in a, you know, compare our seats. So you're in section in the corner end zone. Well, hang, hang on. Oh. Now we got bumped four t- three times out of seats. We, we so we were on the fifty yard line to start with. Yeah. That was in the basket all the way through. Credit card approved, and we got bumped and we got moved over. You know, slowly but surely to a worse seat. Now, if we'd landed, say our second choice, you know, we, we'd be in terrific seats. Yeah. Uh, we complained to Spurs. Uh, no, they were very nice, but you know the seats are sold out. Yeah. Um, and, and I know where you're going. I mean, if, if you were to compare the package that I've paid to the ticket that you've got, which you'll probably be in a better seat than me or, you know, more closer to the halfway line. I'm on the 35-yard the... line and 10 yeah. rows from the front. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've got a slightly more elevated position, uh, but I'm, I'm closer to the That's goal line right. rather than being on the halfway line. Yeah. Another word is, for just another word for elevated position is further away. Just no, no, so no, elevation, it, it really helps. Um, See, what, 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 game, what game is this you guys are going to? The Jets-Falcons. <laughs> how, how many games did those teams win last year? There's well, not even any Julio money. Jones. I'm lot, sick, lot money, I can't make the second game. Well, you, there's a couple other things you've got to remember. I mean, you know, Gets you're paying for the early access and you're getting in and there's no, you know, there, it's a lot very relaxed. It's keeping me away from the riffraff like Cameron. So, you know, that's certainly <laughs> worth it. And I'm loaded as well. Money means nothing. <laughs> uh, there you go. For those that have ever been at any of our live events, next one's on Mitchell, by the way. Next one's on Mitchell. <laughs> right. Um, no, listen, absolutely. We, I think we sat, I've been noising them up all afternoon. I think I've figured out that I can get in about an hour after you. So, yeah, you do get in earlier. Um... I will have to mill around rather than sit in a comfy seat and I don't get my food for free. But I can actually afford my ticket, afford four burgers and chips and ten pints and still pay less. And I'm, uh, yeah, closer closer to the action on the 35-yard line. It's fine. Can, can, you, can you afford four burgers when you factor in the burgers you already was from last season's bets? <laughs> Do you know what? <laughs> this is amazing. Gordon, you've come on. T- I can give Paul all four of his burgers. What I'll do is I'll buy them at <laughs> Wembley, at Spurs, sorry, and just lob them up to his section. We'll be fine. <laughs> there you go. Paul, you can eat as much as you can eat all day. I'm not doing the drinks. You can get them yourself. <laughs> You're more than kind. I think on the, you know, and, and you have had your fun on WhatsApp today. That's fine. <laughs> I think on the, on the serious side of it, I think the NFL need to have a little look at this because this, this is fans getting ripped off. 
There is no way on this earth that the package that I'm paying is worth the 270 quid that I'm paying for it. Yeah. There is just no way. It's been done because it's a one-off event. It's the boys' weekend. It's the only time all four of us are together during the year. So for all of those reasons, it's fine. But, you know, people are being ripped off by this. And the other thing is, to come back to your point, this has gone on sale first. We never hurried to book Club Wembley because Wembley was massive in yeah. terms of its hospitality. So it always went on afterwards. And literally, you know, there's been a couple of times where we phoned up to add people to our table. It's never been a problem. It is different at Spurs. It's limited numbers. Wembley has such a higher capacity for these things. So, but as I said to you, and I said in the tweet, the NFL UK. Ticketmaster, Spurs, whoever will tell you, they'll point out nobody's forcing you to buy these tickets and they've sold out. Therefore, they're not going to increase um, you know, the, the choice. They're not going to reduce the price. I'm saying ethically the NFL UK should have a little look at this. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Definitely agree. It has to be value for money. Let's not just charge it because someone's willing to pay it. Let's charge it because it's actually the right value for money. Jamie, have you managed to make it down to any of the London games so far? Um, you make it to Wembley or? Not for a long time. I made it to the first one and I made it to the third one and the fifth one. <laughs> so when I went, they were all one um, one a year, but then they, they exploded. I think the last one I was at was the Tampa Bay Bears. <clears throat> um, the, the Bears one. And then um, after that, life, life began to get in the way of uh, my ability to get to those games. But yeah, I saw the... Um, in a particularly dark twist of fate, I saw the 2007 Giants and uh, that first ever one who then went on to crush all of my hopes and dreams. <laughs> um, and I saw Cleo Lemon almost almost begin to lead a comeback against a team that would later throttle Tom Brady in the infamous <laughs> 18-0 season. So that, that hurts. So you got <laughs> to see that. the Super Bowl champions that year, you know. There's, there's, there's got to be the silver lining. Yeah, you also saw the worst, the worst team in the league. The Dolphins went one in fifteen. They did. That's right. It was an overtime win against the Ravens. Yeah, Cleo Lemon, who I think I don't think the Ravens drafted him. If he did, he was like a seventh rounder. But his, his first training camp was like with the Ravens as an undrafted free agent. Oh really? That was. I remember that. That game, I remember how excited Cam Cameron looked afterwards and thinking, yeah. oh, you're in a deep, deep hole of pain if that's, <laughs> uh, that's what you're excited about. an overtime win against a 4-12 team, I believe the Ravens were. That, that's the only Wembley game I've been to um, as well. I thankfully did not go to the Ravens-Jaguars one because work meant that I didn't get Sundays off. Um, otherwise, I would have definitely been there and it would have been a horrible, horrible day. <laughs> Yeah, I managed to get to the, um, as a, a monster Randy Moss fan, I uh, was delighted that I managed to get to the, the Patriots game two years later when Brady was back, um, comeback player of the year season, and we, uh, we absolutely um, killed Tampa. So it was good. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, right, last topic for the night uh, before we wrap up episode 154. The NFL are cracking down on taunting ahead of the 2021 season. Uh, the fun police are in town. Ah, oh, thoughts, gentlemen. Is there any, first of all, is there anyone agrees with this? No. No. Well, no fun oh. league. Oh, oh, Paul's got, Paul's got a suggestion he kind of agrees with it. Well, it's because well, I, I don't, 
this guy's not going to see the saint celebrate. He doesn't want to see any dinner at all this year. Hey, from from the team that had a mobile phone in the posts and stuff like that, we we know how to celebrate down Louisiana way. I'm I'm just wondering where where's this coming from? What, what's the driving factor? Um, and I'll be very very careful how I say this. Is this are they going to try and make this out to be a mental health issue? You know that you know you could be destroying somebody. You know who plays professionally. You could be sowing seeds of doubt in their mind. Where are they coming from? And I mean this seriously. I think what we're what we're seeing in life overall is certain things. You know, we, we appreciate we're we're coming through a pandemic, but you start to get the feeling that certain companies are taking the Mickey when they start to blame COVID for everything, for poorer service, for worse quality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think one of the, the good things over the last 10 years is in athletics and in sport, we've actually started to look at the psychological side of the game. Uh, mental health is, is highly important. But are we? if this is the driving factor behind it, then seriously, it's a step too far. Um, you are playing a sport. Nobody forces you to play the sport. And I'm sorry, but mental toughness is part of the game. I, I don't think I don't think it is though. Like I, I think they just well, like the the suits in the NFL have never liked on. They didn't like Ocho Cinco chucking popcorn into his helmet. They didn't like To. They didn't like the Joe Hart. They've never liked that stuff. The only the the only funny part of this is going to be when a wide receiver catches like a four yard pass, gets hammered by the cornerback and gets up and flexes in his face. He's now going to get flagged 15 yards. It's going to be a minus nine-yard catch because those wide receivers deserve to lose lose nine yards on that. But it's the and apparently there was a, a situation the Vikings and Broncos are scrimmaging today, and there was like an interception or a pass breakup. A guy spiked the ball and they flagged him 15. That's what they want to flag. It's just like the spike in the ball thing. It's just the the worst thing to flag in the world. Like spike the ball. It's not. I also don't like the fact that they've got like different, you know, if you spike the ball, but you do it away from someone, it's different from if you're doing it and they're too close to you. And all that. It's just, it's a little bit of nonsense. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think this is one of these things that like it generates drama. I don't know why you wouldn't want it. Um, when you, you know, think back to, you could go all the way back, you go, um, Go Dallas, uh, San Francisco with George Teague and To, and you know the celebration on the star and um, that whole thing. Like that's that's in, lives in NFL infamy. The NFL films could have entire episodes based around just that, and they're essentially trying to force the removal of it. I, I, yeah, I, I'm very much in agreement with Paul. Certainly, as far as the no one no one forces you to do it. It's a sport. We want to see you compete. We want to see you get, and even, you know, Gordon, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. Like a four-yard gain is one of those things where if you're celebrating, particularly if it's not third and three, if yeah, you're yeah. celebrating a four-yard gain on first and 10, maybe <laughs> you, you are just it. a guy that needs to be within <laughs> a little bit. Like that's that's questionable. But the, the other part of it is that I think it's, um, I think it's just one of these things that if you get hyper competitive and you really care, then these are the things that come out, the outputs of that. And and it's almost like we're trying to sanitize the actual yeah. passion in the sport, which is 
Um, and I know there's plenty of people wouldn't agree with me there because there's plenty of people who say it's classless. Well, let it be classless. Like if you want to be classy, then take up chess. If you want to win and beat somebody. Yeah. And I, I, do you know what's interesting? So there's a couple of things. There's a video that has been released that the NFL have given out and they talk about they want to up retain respect and you know taunting is is not the respect of the league now i think that the two things have been conflated where you can respect someone by flexing in front of them because actually the fact that you're flexing in front of them shows how much you respect them because the play you've just played shows that do you know what i just absolutely got one on you you're not going to do that to someone you don't respect, right? So there's that. The other one is... I like this. Cameron start a campaign where actually... I love that taunt, logic. That's, actually that's... taunt more, because we'll taunt more and that'll because show... Because I respect really... the yeah, that's, person that's I'm That's the taunting. sort of logic I would have tried to pass off. That's, uh, that's nice, I like that. Um, now, I'm going to butcher some names here. So I apologise. Tom Pellicero? Pellicero. He oh, tweeted yeah. an hour ago... How closely will NFL officials call taunting as the league emphasizes it in 2021? Question mark. Broncos wide receiver Devontas Dukes was just flagged by the crew here for spinning a ball in the direction of Vikings cornerback Cam Dantzier uh, after winning a 50-50 ball in practice. So, it, this is so often the case with the new rules. They, they implement it and they implement it like absolutely like prison rules and it just it saps the fun this is a, it's a, it is a sport it's it's entertainment right sport we're losing sport to business and we need to hang on to it in any way we can when we can't even have entertainment on the field as the players jostle with each other more often than not a lot of these guys are mates as well who played at college together and are absolutely sticking it to each other because of course you are you can do it without it you know winding two people up now this Let's draw this back to Scotland, um, in a way, because this is a Scottish version of the NFL. You know, we we ruled out pulling your shirt over your head, celebrating in front of opposition fans and things like that, because what you don't want to do is goad people. But I don't think anything that's being talked about here is goading. And, and there needs to be a really clear distinction. Fine, you can have rules about the mobile phone that actually, do you know what? Every now and then you do something special enough, it's worth a little penalty on kickoff. Um but that's part of the fun, and it gives us something to enjoy and annoys each other up. I've not seen any riots at an NFL game because somebody flexed in front of somebody. It's just, it is fun police. It's absolutely fun police, and I'm dead now, against it, it. It's moving slightly the other way in baseball. If you've ever watched somebody hit a home run in baseball, they tell you, you just pop the bat down, you run the bases at a decent pace because you don't want to show up the pitcher. These guys are doing something that's quite incredible. If you nail a home run, A, you've done particularly well. You're not showing up the picture. You're doing your damn job. And if you watch some of the players now, one of the great things is, is when they know it's gone, there's the bat flip in the air and they're, and they're off. That adds to the excitement. You know, if the other team want to take exception to it, tell you what, strike the guy out. Don't give him a pitch to hit. You know, if you don't want somebody to, you know, to flex themselves, you make the play. You know, th this is not a one-way street. You know, it's, it's a competition. And if you win it, you should be allowed to celebrate. What you could do is ha have a, an excessive celebration rule. And, and let's be honest, it's one of these things, you know it when you see it. It's not spiking a ball. I mean, that's just that, that's nonsense or a wee spin at someone. You know, I mean, if you're if you're up in somebody's face or physically pushing them, that's different. I think we all know what excessive celebration looks like. This is just 
bleeding away the moments out the NFL. And I'll tell you what, so if, if Gordon's the cornerback, I've caught the ball, I then taunt Gordon, that's fine. He might not like it, but I'll tell you what, see when we're back in the dressing room, if he wants to come and thump me, that's fine. You know, these things get sorted out somewhere. You know, that's just the way it is. Can we just actually decide that this game is played by adults? They're big boys. Let them go and get on with it. I've just heard uh, Paul Mitchell say that you're allowed to punch him, Gordon. That's yeah, what I, I heard. also love. I also love the fact that he's like he's such a fan of Taunton that he's basically saying like, let's not flag anyone, but like assault is a fair. Yeah, yeah just get them afterwards. Go for it. Yeah, why not? Come on. Don't not fifteen yards, but physical assault. Let's go for it. As a man who's ejected, as a man who's been ejected from a game for raising the ball on the one yard line in celebration of a game winning touchdown, I absolutely agree with everything that's being said. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I just think I just think it's excessive. I mean, to be fair, that was my fault, but nonetheless, um, yeah. I'm just pleased that Gordon didn't question the fact that we take the ball down as the wide receiver <laughs> when trying to cover me. That that's made my night, to be honest. Uh, you'd bring the ball down, but you'd pull your groin in the process. And that's how that's that would go. Right, okay. Uh, last thing I'm going to say, actually, I did say that was the last one, but I just want to shout out, we talk a lot about coaches on the hot seat. We talk about bad management of teams. Let's give a shout out to the Indianapolis Colts that have signed up Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, the general manager, through to 2026. Clearly, you know, Carson Wentz aside, they're not in control of injuries. They might have seen it coming, but whatever. Um, the Colts have done some good work on and off the field, and I think that's a really good sign that they've snapped those two guys up, sets the Colts up for the future, uh, so really good move there. The interesting thing I found with that, though, is that he might be one of the first general managers to ever get a long-term extension without having figured out the quarterback position. But, like, he's done a really good job elsewhere in that roster. Um, I, I personally think they're paying too much for Darius Leonard, but that's if you want to re-sign your linebacker, that's what you can have to pay these days, so... That is what it is. But it's interesting that, you know, their quarterback situation right now might be Carson Wentz week one, or it might be the rookie Ellinger from Texas or um, so Eason, Jacob Eason, yeah. guy yeah. from uh, Georgia. And they really don't have quarterback figured out. And that is a roster that is set up to be a contender if they had a quarterback. So I, I, I just find it a little bit interesting that he gets a pass on that. Um, but yeah. Well, it is. And isn't that isn't that brilliant, Cameron? Because Gordon's just segued into what we're going to talk about yes. in the next pod, which, which is incredible because Gordon doesn't know this. No. But we, we we have already agreed that we're going to talk about the contending teams who will be severely derailed if their number one goes down. So who doesn't have a viable option backing up at quarterback? So see. It all comes together. Lovely and seamless. And it and you know what? We're going to follow that up after week one of preseason where we're going to see a bunch of these number twos and number threes and sometimes number fours in action, which is going to give us a really, uh, not a great indication, but it's going to give us some insight as to who, where, you know, where we're worried and where we think the concerns are. But that is the full-time whistle for episode 154. Thank you to Jamie and Gordon for joining us. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen. Uh, follow us on social media at ScotlandNFL on Twitter and search for NFL. NFL Scotland on Facebook. 
So we wonder what's going to happen first in the NFL this year. Will we see Trey Lance taking the number one job for San Francisco or will we see Cameron making good on one of his burger bets? <laughs> we just nope. wait and see. My thanks to Gordon. Thanks to Jamie for joining us. Great stuff as always, guys. Thanks to Cameron as well. Hope you enjoyed episode 154 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Do join us again next week for more great NFL conversation on behalf of the whole team. Bye for now.